Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Oh, it's always so much fun for me to be actually in the studio and get to see Sharina. She's like very, very nice to look at first and foremost. And I'm usually sitting all by myself in my studio and I look out the window and I get to see the birds flying around and get to um, throw the cats out of the studio because they have a tendency to jump on me in the middle of the broadcast, which doesn't really work well. Um, So here I'm like at work and I, I came, I met people I'd never met before and I realized that, you know, this is, uh, this is like still very much a real functioning radio station. I'm just not in it. <laughs> uh, but it's fun to be here today. I'll be here today and tomorrow. And that's a, a good thing. My podcast probably will not get put up uh, immediately. Um, I've had some technical issues at my house because in spite of how wonderful technology is, and I have so many assistants when it comes to my technology, I can call up Brennan, I can go to Brian. And of course, Sharina has probably answered more of my questions than either one of them. But we just haven't been able to to figure this one out. So we're still working on it. Now, of course, since we last came together, Donald Trump has been formally arraigned in my hometown of New York City. And yesterday I kept using the term banana republic and comparing what happened to things I've seen happen in places like Mauritania and and in uh, uh, Nicaragua and Venezuela and and Botswana and you you know all of these uh, forgive me I hope this is not considered uh, an inappropriate way of phrasing it third world countries banana republics that's you know really of what it looked like. And it was embarrassing. It was shameful to me to see this going on in my country. But so it happened. I can't say that anymore. Though I was reading Vic Hughes um, on one of the websites that I frequent, American Thinker, and he said he wishes he could call it a banana republic, but he said you can't really do that because um, this is not a republic anymore, not banana or otherwise. And you can't, he, he talked about having the same feeling that I had yesterday. Now, remember, I got off the air at one o'clock and I was fussing around with technology until two o'clock. And then at two o'clock, um, the coverage got very intense. Everybody was waiting to see Donald Trump walk out of the area where he had been fingerprinted and arrested, uh, although he wasn't put in handcuffs and there was no mugshot. But um, everyone was waiting to see him walk into the courtroom. And I was part of everyone, right, watching that. And I kept having this feeling of deja vu. And I really, you know, I wrestled with that because it's never happened before, right? Uh, uh, an ex-president has never and and displayed the way this happened. So... Um, what was I feeling deja vu about? And it turns out that Vic 
um, Vic Hughes really had the same feeling I did, but he identified it. He said it was like sitting and watching Richard Nixon's resignation, which, of course, I remember vividly. I have a granddaughter named Nixon. Um, my son and I are Nixon files. We have uh, everything short. Uh, well, we have my son actually has an entire wall devoted to Richard Nixon. We've read every book about Richard Nixon. I hate to admit it, but um, I am in possession of a small tattoo uh, regarding Richard Nixon as well. And I remember then thinking, well, this is justice being served, right? And, and it has to happen because we're trying to save the country. And now I realized, and certainly after reading everything that I've read, and almost immediately within a year after the resignation, I realized that Richard Nixon was framed, you know. And so this is the deja vu part, because I believe Trump was framed. And in, in the deep state of today focused on taking Trump out, but the deep state of Nixon's time, well, they went after him the CIA, the Democrat Kennedy wing of the Justice Department, the FBI, the media, the same media, the New York Times and the Washington Post, actively conspired to take Nixon out because why? Because he wasn't into the deep state and because he was wildly popular with the people. I know you don't think that now, particularly generations that came after mine because he's been so um, demonized but he was actually very, very popular. And really what the deep state wanted to do was to clear the field for Teddy Kennedy's 1976 presidential run. So they set up Nixon and they went after his donors. In Kennedy's Camelot, Nixon was called an illegitimate president. Does that ring a bell? I mean, is that not what we're hearing, what we heard after Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump, that he was an illegitimate president? I mean, really um, prestigious politicians were saying that. So imagine, you know, how the deja vu feeling I was having was really based on reality. And I remember there was a bad magazine cover that showed a Volkswagen which, by the way, was a car that because it was, you know, all built in one piece, unibody construction, it used to show it um, floating in the water. So amazingly, I remember the commercial. So did Vic Hughes, by the way. And the headline was, if Ted Kennedy drove a Volkswagen, he'd be president today, which, of course, made reference to Mary Jo Kopechny. Kennedy had in a car and ran off a bridge and left her in the car to drown. So Richard Nixon actually won a 49-state blowout. And all the Democrat operatives, the CIA, a bunch of Harvard professors, the Kennedy Department of Justice worshipers, particularly Bobby Kennedy, and the New York Times, they met and they planned a way to take out Nixon. And if you've ever read the work of Jeff Shepard, you know what I'm talking about. The CIA planted operatives all throughout Nixon's White House and his reelection campaign creep. The CIA plants set up the Watergate burglary, which was so incompetent that it was designed to get caught. Nixon knew nothing about the break-in or the setup. 
the burglars intentionally taped locks open in areas they had no interest in being so they could get caught. That isn't even a rookie mistake for intelligence black bag pros. That's by design. The Democrats in the Senate had hearings and created this big public outcry for a Nixon investigation. And of course, the selective one-sided media leaks were critical to creating momentum. They had the most slanted reporting back then. Well, that was until now, because definitely the reporting on President Trump has been even worse. Um, Was it coincidental that Bob Woodward was a theoretical ex-intelligence officer if one can be ex-anything once they've been inside the deep state? The scandal was created. The Democrats in the Department of Justice used the manufactured outcry that the media pumped up to start a crooked grand jury investigation. Is anybody having a deja vu experience besides me and Victor Hughes? Remember the Honorable Judge Sirica? He was part of the deep state conspiracy, and he even changed the rules of the D.C. court so that he could hear Watergate cases, although he had passed his mandatory retirement age. Now, I have to tell you, when I first moved to Florida, I actually lived across the street from Judge Sirica's nephew, and I got a lot of inside information back in those days because, again, I was a Nixon addict. Um, This was a guy who loathed Richard Nixon. He was so corrupt that he would meet with the prosecutors privately without the defense lawyers present. And he would tell the prosecutors how they should state their legal motions so that he would rule on them positively. John Dean, who was part of the Watergate break-in planning, was Nixon's, well, he was the White House personal lawyer. But since Nixon knew nothing about the break-in and nothing about John Dean's role in it, Nixon asked Dean to find out if anyone in the White House was involved. So after stonewalling Richard Nixon, John Dean took his protected personal legal papers and cut a deal with the Department of Justice. Can anybody say Michael Cohen? I mean, this is so similar that it's actually frightening. The DOJ used John Dean and all these improperly seized uh, documents, privileged documents, not only to take down Nixon, they went after the entire Republican donor base to make sure that Teddy Kennedy would have smooth sailing in 1976. And they set up all these investigations of Republican donors, all but one headed by these highly partisan Democrats, including the smartest woman in the world. That would be Hillary Clinton. Since the Kennedy Department of Justice lawyers were in on the scam, they proceeded to make it very clear that donating to Republicans was dangerous to your legal health. What did B.B. Rebozo, who was a Florida businessman, have to do with the Watergate break-in? Nothing. He was foolish enough to think America was a free country, not a deep state uh, satrapy, and he committed the unforgettable, unforgivable crime of giving money to the Cro-Magnon Nixon when Democrats controlled the deep state. Nixon was visited by deep state Republican politicians, you know, the Mike Pence's of their day, and instead of encouraging Nixon to fight to prove his innocence and defend America from the deep state, Nixon had to go. And now the circle is complete. See, at least there was a real staged crime of the Watergate break-in to take out Nixon. There isn't even a pretext of a crime this time 
the United States of banana land. It's painful. It's shameful. It's something that I never dreamed. Every president that has courted anti-war sentiments has been removed. I mean, think about this. Kennedy was murdered. Nixon was framed. And Trump's been framed dozens of times. The only one who survived was Ronald Reagan because while conservative, he was very hawkish. I don't think we've actually been a republic most of my life. But at least in the old days, our masters were competent. That was until this last decade. Now they are bat soup crazy. The empire is threatened by those that wish to restrain it. Even now when the empire is clearly failing, they cling on with this increasingly bizarre strategies. And ironically, it is the empire itself that is destroying its prized military with all this woke nonsense. Nixon made two mistakes. And I've always said this. I've, I've had this conversation with Roger Stone, who is, of course, very close to Richard Nixon. He took us off the gold standard and he did wage and price controls. Those were his two mistakes. The parallels are amazing. DC makes us elect who they want, which is why I would write in Trump's name before I would vote for who they want me to vote for. He has a big mouth, but I love his policies. I also loved how he torched the pathetic and kneeling media. What a bunch of worthless saps. Thank God we didn't end up electing the Mary Jo Kopechny murderer, Ted Kennedy. He tried to undermine Reagan's election, but it didn't work. So, hey, look, um, the really sick part is all the Democrats and all their supporters and the mainstream media have gone full crazy. And they're literally, they're having orgasms about what went down yesterday. They don't care if the country goes down the tubes because they don't love the country. They don't like the country. They don't care about the country. Nixon's reign was a sad story, but Trump learned from him that you have to fight the left every minute, every hour, every day, or they'll win, and then they will destroy you, and they will destroy this republic. So if I'm looking for a champion, if I'm looking for a warrior, I don't have to look any further than Mar-a-Lago. So don't forget that if you download our app, our 850 WFTL app, you will be able to participate in all our cool contests. And if you don't have the app and you don't want to get the app, go to the website, 850WFTL.com, and you can enter to win some of these incredible contests. We're giving away tickets. We're giving away the gift certificates, all kinds of cool stuff. But you got to participate if you want to win. I'm going to take a quick break and be back in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I thought one of the greatest comments I've heard in this whole matter was uh, former U.S. Attorney Brett Tolman was asked by Jesse Waters, um, what is the crime here? Can you, can you figure out what the big crime is here? And Brett Tolman said, I finally did figure it out. The crime is it's being Donald Trump. 
George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley also told Brett Baer, I've never seen an indictment quite like this one, and there's no there there. So apparently, everybody's criticizing it, and it's pretty unanimous among conservatives. Even John Bolton, who's, you know, no friend to... to um, Donald Trump these days, said this indictment is even weaker than I feared it would be, and I think it's easily subject to being dismissed or a quick acquittal for Trump. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney, the indictment is a dangerous precedent for criminalizing political opponents, and it damages the public's faith in our justice system. These are people who don't like Donald Trump saying this. Uh, said, you know, Senator Mike Lee, who I have a lot of respect for, said, I have spent my life in the law. His, you know, his whole family has. I hold our justice system in the highest regard. This isn't justice, sullenly and blindly carried out. This is using the law to selectively punish for political gain. It is a disgrace and will profoundly change our country for the worse. It's a shameful arrest an unprecedented and chilling chapter in the left's weaponization of the justice system against their leading political opponent. And Andrew McCarthy, who I have a lot of respect for, said, if the judge does his job right here, this case should be dismissed. I would dismiss it on its face because it fails to state a crime. Here, it fails to state a crime 34 times. And John Yu uh, a legal professor said there's a big hole in this case, in this indictment, and the statement of facts that were released with it uh, do nothing to fill that hole. So here you go. You know, the whole reason behind this criminal charge is because Donald Trump was challenging Joe Biden in a presidential election. It's that simple. This is the biggest, boldest election interference ever attempted in the history of this country. This is amazing to me. Uh, Alvin Bragg's entire career is about normalizing violent crime. Just crazy that he's bringing a weak case like this in the middle of a presidential election. But look, you know, uh, this is, this is going to be the stuff of talk radio for a long time. And as much as it makes me miserable, I'm definitely going to have to cover it. But every now and then I'll get to cover a story that makes me giggle or makes me happy, right? How about this one? And it's really kind of sad, but, uh, you know, Don Lemon just, just triggers me for some reason. You know, back in 2008, he was co-anchoring a show called Live From on CNN um, with Kyra Phillips, which was a gig that he landed after he arrived at CNN um, two years prior from doing local news in Chicago. So for months... There was tension between the two of them, and it just kept mounting. And on more than one occasion, a live from producer and a newsroom supervisor had to pull Lemon off the air during a commercial break because of his provocative antics. Not unlike his recent declaration that the 51-year-old Nikki Haley isn't a viable presidential candidate because she isn't in her prime. So uh, let me just put it to you this way. Um, they said he disrespected Nancy Grace on the air and Soledad O'Brien during an editorial meeting attended by roughly 30 staffers, but his antipathy towards Phillips was particularly concerning and had many members of the close-knit Atlanta news team on edge. 
Phillips was on assignment in Iraq, a high-profile gig that Lemon coveted. He vented his disappointment at being passed over by tearing up pictures and notes on top of and inside Phillips's desk in the news pod they shared, according to two sources who worked there at the time. When she returned from Iraq, things only got weirder. One night, while dining with members of the news team, she received the first of two threatening text messages from an unknown number on her flip phone. Man, remember when we had flip phones? That warned, now you've crossed the line and you're going to pay for it. Phillips was visibly rattled and quickly enlisted CNN's higher-ups to identify the sender. Remarkably, the texts were traced back to Don Lemon, according to the same sources. A human resources investigation was launched, and while the findings were never disclosed to the staffers who were aware of what was going on, Lemon was abruptly pulled from his co-anchor duties with Phillips and moved to the weekends. It was a demotion by any objective measure and understood to be some kind of disciplinary action. It appears to be the last time that he was paired with a female anchor. That is, until his most recent assignment on CNN This Morning, with Don Lemon, Poppy Harlow, and Caitlin Collins. So they didn't just put him with one woman, they put him with two. Phillips, who joined ABC as a Washington-based correspondent in 2018, is refusing to comment. A spokesperson for CNN said, Don says the alleged incident never occurred and that he was never notified of any investigation. CNN cannot corroborate the alleged events from 15 years ago. Hmm. Seems a little curious to me. Nothing about Don Lemon makes any sense to me, like the fact that he's still on the air. That makes the least amount of sense possible. After we made the Haley comments, which, by the way, everybody said were unacceptable and sexist, I mean, from the chairman of CNN, Chris Licht, to Nikki Haley herself, and even, I think, was referenced by the Oscar-winning Michelle Yeoh, during her best uh, actress acceptance speech, they thought, everybody thought that he would be ousted, but he didn't. He landed back on his feet after riding the bench for just two days, posting a Twitter mea culpa, and said he was going to do better. Somehow I get the feeling this guy can't do any better. Let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. So there really is other news, you know, and I'm going to try to cover some of it, although, you know, the hottest story has to be what happened yesterday with the former president. But uh, Chicago's election took place yesterday, and the Chicago uh, public is obviously stuck on stupid. I mean, I I thought there was some hope for them when they basically got rid of uh, Gordon, not Gordon Lightfoot, Lori Lightfoot. Boy, I'll tell you, that's a process of of, uh, my generation, right? But instead, they have now replaced her with a guy who is for defunding the police. He's to the left of left. And, uh, you know, this is this is where the city of Chicago is heading. If he believes in defunding the police, you have a city that is besieged by criminals. I mean, it's it's one of the most violent cities in America used to be a, a beautiful city, much like San Francisco used to be a beautiful city. And meanwhile, yesterday in San Francisco, apparently I got out of there just in time, Tuesday morning in the Rincon Hill neighborhood in San Francisco, which, by the way, I actually um, 
usually go to Rincon Hill because I, I have a friend whose daughter lives there, and occasionally she'll send something from Florida for me to bring to her daughter. So I usually do make a trip to that area. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. And, uh, but I didn't on this, this trip. The founder of Cash App and uh, the guy who was the chief product officer at the cryptocurrency company MobileCoin, this is a guy that people refer to as Crazy Bob, um, he was murdered just stabbed to death. We're talking about a horrific attack. These are those kinds of attacks that when people say to me, oh, we need gun control, I say, well, what about like, you know, the people who are killed with hammers and and knives and hit by cars or run over three times, you know, um, does that not bother you? And, you know, because if you ask me, obviously I have uh, no desire to be murdered, but uh, a quick bullet, you know, over stabbing me to death, you know, definitely would be my, uh, my, my choice, right? He worked on the development of the core libraries for Android. He had shares in SpaceX. Um, and it turns out his last Twitter uh, post, which took place on April 2nd, which would have been Sunday, he shared footage that was captured at the satellite launch. And he also helped the World Health Organization with its mobile app during the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's according to his mobile coin profile, which is where I found some of the news. Now, Jack Dorsey, who co-founded Twitter, said Lee was instrumental to the development of Cash App. And Elon Musk revealed he was sorry to learn that Lee had died. Joshua Goldbard, the CEO of MobileCoin, told the KGO and ABC affiliate out there, Bob was a force of nature. He helped to birth Android and Cash App into our world. Moby was his dream, a privacy-protecting wallet for the 21st century. I will miss him every day. And Goldbard added, he was made for the world that is being born right now. He was a child of dreams. And whatever he imagined, no matter how crazy, he made real. So, you know, this is San Francisco. And, and now it's also Chicago. And it's a number of other, you know, cities that happen to be predominantly um, ruled, not even governed, but ruled by Democrats who think about defunding police departments. I mean, you know, tell that to a mother in Chicago whose kid was shot through a window as she was braiding her hair. That you think we should defund the police and that we should, uh, you know, make criminals more comfortable in our city. It's just crazy. So, you know, these are these are the kinds of events that are taking place all over the country. And having just come back from San Francisco, this one kind of hit me hard. I don't use Cash App. Well, let me take that back. I have used Cash App in my life, but I'm really reluctant to use a lot of those apps because I just don't know. It seems like your money is floating out there in, in, a, in a, a vast wasteland and you really have no control over it at all. But I did use Cash App to pay a, uh, a an auto mechanic a couple of years ago, and nothing bad happened. So I probably should only say nice things about Cash App, particularly since its founder, tech entrepreneur, uh, Crazy Bob, was murdered in San Francisco. So I don't know what to make of this Chicago story. I really don't. 
any more than I know how to handle the sheer number of counts that we saw yesterday. 34 felonies. And and it's a classic example of what prosecutors and legal analysts all day and night were saying of overcharging a defendant. You know, this is, first and foremost, a very historic criminal prosecution, right? You're, you're, uh, you're actually conducting a criminal prosecution of a candidate, really one of the few declared candidates of the 2024 presidential election, not to mention the fact that he was a former president. So they're alleging that he directed his lawyer, Michael Cohen, and we know where they got this idea because Michael Cohen, you know, turned evidence to get a lighter uh, sentence. But he's a convicted felon and he's a creep. You know, I got into a Twitter battle with him not that long ago. But he apparently the allegation is that Donald Trump told Michael Cohen to pay $130,000 in hush money to Stormy Daniels, who, uh, you know, I, I feel a little uncomfortable continuously calling her a porn star. She was an adult film actress. <laughs> that just feels better, right? And uh, the money was paid just prior to the 2016 presidential election. And then apparently the argument is that he illegally reimbursed Michael Cohen for the payment under the guise of a monthly retainer for legal services. And that led to 34 false entries in New York business records. You know, Alvin Bragg, if you saw his press conference yesterday, he is really uh, just a, a, a creepy guy. I'll leave it at that. He said that Trump went to great lengths to hide this conduct, causing dozens of false entries in business records to conceal criminal activity, including attempts to violate state and federal election laws. First and foremost, what are the state election laws that he's referring to? And for that matter... He has no right to prosecute a federal election law, and the FEC, which would be the governing body there, refused to prosecute this case. You know, in court, what we got to hear, because we didn't get to see it, was that Trump pleaded not guilty to the 34 felony counts of falsification of business records. And, you know, uh, the, the president has maintained his innocence throughout. And look... I don't think that there's a sane American. Now, I notice I used the adjective sane. I don't think there's a sane American who doesn't believe that this is a partisan case, that this is a political prosecution, not a criminal prosecution. And that, you know, I was reminded of when James Comey stood up and I was sitting here in this veritable studio where I'm sitting today watching the TV monitor I'm doing my normal shift, and I'm looking at James Comey begin to read off a list of things that Hillary Clinton was accused of doing, and it was a lengthy list, okay? And I'm watching that, and I'm thinking, she's going down, she's going down. And then, lo and behold, James Comey says, I don't think we could uh, prosecute this case, I don't think there's enough there, there, or whatever he said. And everybody in the room at the time, I think I was sitting in here with um, the late Rich Stevens and and uh, maybe one or two of the morning show guys, and I, we're looking at one another and going, what? 
he just listed like all of this stuff and then decided that he didn't have enough of a case to prosecute it. And yet this guy, this New York DA, Alvin Bragg, doesn't have half as much, actually seems to only have one thing, which he repeats 34 times, but he feels that this is worth prosecuting in spite of the fact that it will turn the country upside down, turn our republic inside out, doesn't phase him, he's going for it. And that's why I say um, nobody who's sane thinks that this is okay. They just don't. John Banzoff, who's a professor emeritus at uh, George Washington University Law School, said he wouldn't be surprised if the seemingly excessive charges will actually induce jurors to acquit Trump. They may see the whole case as unfair. I think even a jury, which may not have too much legal expertise, is going to look over at this and say, well, this is repetitive. Uh, He used this analogy. If a person was accused of a bank robbery, instead of charging him with robbing one bank, the prosecutor would load up 33 other charges, such as he crossed the street against the red light, was double parked, shot off his gun, he carried a gun when he shouldn't. But you know, to most people, they would say that was one crime, one bank robbery. Banzoff, ironically, was the attorney who filed a complaint against Trump in Georgia, leading to an investigation there for alleged interference in the 2020 uh, presidential election. So he's no friend to Donald Trump. And of course, that investigation is still going on. And Banzoff thinks the New York case could have an adverse effect on the Georgia case. Because after dozens of charges were filed against Trump in New York, the notion that more could be piled on in Georgia or elsewhere can add to the impression that Trump is a political target, which doesn't sit well with jurors. And that's why he thinks there's a risk of jury nullification in which jurors rebel against an unfair prosecution, regardless of the evidence. Mike Allen, a former judge and prosecutor in Ohio, said the New York case might not even make it to trial. I think there's a very good chance that Trump's team will prevail on a motion to dismiss, which will be filed post-haste. Trump's lawyer, Joe Tacopina, has already alluded to the filing of several motions to dismiss, including one based on prosecutorial misconduct and selective prosecution. Alan Thoughts on its face seems weak because it's a mishmash of statutes, the combining of state falsification of records charges with federal campaign finance violations, and the indictment alleges that Trump violated Section 175.10 of the New York Penal Code, falsifying business records in the first degree. That charge is repeated 34 times, alleging that Trump repeatedly wrote checks and created inaccurate business records between February and December of 2017. Now, let me just ask you a question, okay? Where was Donald Trump between February and December of 2017? Oh, yeah, he he was in the Oval Office. He was already the President of the United States. So whatever personal checks he wrote, weren't for a campaign. There was no campaign. He had already been elected. So for the falsification of records charged to be elevated to a felony, New York law states that it must be done with intent to defraud and intent to commit another crime and aid and conceal the commission thereof. But it doesn't tell you in this indictment what crime that Donald Trump is accused of intending to commit. 
Not even committing, just intending to commit. D.A. Alvin Bragg, during the news conference, told a reporter that the law doesn't require him to specify the additional alleged crime. But when he was asked what the other crime was, he pointed to a New York state election law, which prohibits conspiring to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. He also alluded to Cohen's 2018 guilty plea to federal campaign finance violations. Let me tell you something. In any criminal indictment that I have ever read, and I have had to read them because of what I do for a living, I have uh, that anyone that I have ever read where the statute requires other crimes, the crime is specified and it's spelled out in the indictment. It speaks volumes about the lack of there there, about the strength of this case, that he won't even specify exactly what the other crime is. I, you know, I'm of the opinion that this judge's entire reputation is on the line and he's going to look at this, these 34 charges, repetitive and really, you know, um, many of which uh, are underneath the statute of limitation of five years and would have expired under normal circumstances, given that the payment was made in 2016 or 2017 or about seven years ago. But of course, Alvin Bragg thought of that and he's expected to use a provision that says the statute of limitations clock is stopped when the defendant was continuously outside of the state. What? Uh, Trump's attorneys are going to argue that this is a selective prosecution, and it is. And if the indictment is dismissed on any grounds, it's going to have an adverse impact on the Georgia case and all the other investigations, the uh, national, uh, you know, uh, the um, January 6th case that's being looked at by a special prosecutor. So, you know, sometimes something very, very bad works out to be very, very good for the person they're being unfair to. That looks like what's about to happen in this case. Don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro. At 5 o'clock, it's either Matt Walsh or Mike, uh, uh, what, Michael Knowles. And then at 6 o'clock, right, the WPTV News. And then the morning crew will be back first thing in the morning. So there's no reason to touch the dial. Leave it right where it is. So that's uh, really where we are. Um, we are in no kind of republic, so I'm not going to refer to it as a banana republic anymore. It's just not even a republic anymore. And that's a very sad thing um, to have to face, you know, to confront the fact that on our watch, that's me and you, on our watch, we allowed... Uh, whatever you want to call them, the bureaucracies, the deep state, the political parties, the uniparty, because at this point, where were all the Republicans last night that normally would have so much to say about everything that could help them? Where were they last night? Very few uh, standing up and defending the uh, former president, and certainly very few of the legal analysts weighed in until this morning. Like, how much thinking did this actually take? You know, Mike Lee waited until this morning, and I have a lot of respect for Mike Lee. He's a very smart man and a brilliant jurist. So, you know, I, I just think that they are always calculating, all of them, 
Uh, how will this affect my reelection? How will this affect, uh, you know, uh, the, the state of the union? As if they had any real significance in, in governing anymore. Who's, who's, who's running the show? That's my question. Because if the Republicans are now in charge of the House of Representatives, you would think that they would have had a motion on the floor today condemning this DA more than just like inviting him for testimony, which is about all they've done. I assure you, if the shoe were on the other foot, the Democrats would already be launching an investigation into uh, Alvin Bragg and into, you know, anybody who was present in the courtroom that day. I mean, it's just amazing to me that they, they he cannot, you know, uh, uh, it's just, it's just really, it's very, very discomforting because the courtroom was not, uh, you know, because we were not allowed to see it, it remains kind of like a, a fantasy or a fable. And that's a dangerous place. I mean, that one photograph that they have of uh, that circulating of Donald Trump sitting there, first and foremost, you can't tell the difference between him and anybody else. I mean, uh, we know that he is the defendant, but, you know, he's wearing a suit and tie. He doesn't look particularly nonplussed. He seemed very somber and very... Uh, dignified. So, you know, that picture is not going to get the traction that they were hoping for. They wanted a mugshot, man. They were uh, chomping at the proverbial bit to thinking they were going to get a mugshot, but that didn't happen. So what's going to happen next? That's the real question, right? What's next in this case? Well, first and foremost, there'll be a lot of motions filed. Uh, second, how is the judge going to handle the speech that Donald Trump gave last night at Mar-a-Lago. Now, I watched it, and it was a, a, it was like a campaign event. I mean, the crowd was probably handpicked, and they were chanting uh, just like they would at a rally or a campaign stop. Uh, he was absolutely... Uh, he went after the judge. He went after Bragg. He, he did exactly what everybody was saying he shouldn't do. Uh, but he did it. And so the judge had warned him that if I get any notices that look anything like that picture of him holding um, a baseball bat and Alvin Bragg's picture in the background, you know, then I will consider a gag order. But think about this for a second. How do you gag a potential presidential candidate? Well, he's already a presidential candidate. He is a primary candidate. How can you gag him? So in other words, the media can run wild with every kind of story. They can make stuff up and he will not be allowed to respond. I mean, it's one thing to do it to Roger Stone, but to do it to Donald Trump, how do you think that's going to happen? I, I, I just can't even imagine it. You know, I'm not a big uh, player on Truth Social, you know, that his network. But trust me, I'm going to get on it with a vengeance in the upcoming weeks, because if that will be the only platform that he has, I can only imagine what kinds of things will be posted. And you can put a gag order on him and he can, you know, uh, you can't shut him down uh, completely. You can just maybe keep him from making some public statements, but you can't stop him from campaigning. And once he gets out there, Donald Trump doesn't look at a teleprompter the way Joe Biden does. Well, actually, Joe Biden can't seem to see the teleprompter anyway, but 
you know, Donald Trump talks off the cuff, uh, probably 75% of the time, every time he speaks publicly. And so you can't stop him once he's in the middle. And it's just going to be, um, it's just going to be a circus. That's what it's going to be. And if the judge is any, you know, real jurist, He's going to think about all these things. He's going to look at these 34 repetitive charges, and he's going to say, you know what? Um, I still kind of have affection for the republic, and I don't want to see it go down this way. This is not sufficient to bring the entire system to a crash. So we'll see. You know, then again, politics are playing into it. He's a liberal Democrat, and he doesn't like Donald Trump and his— uh, daughter apparently worked for Kamala Harris and his wife hates Trump and all the rest of it. I'm sure all of that is true, too. So we just don't know. But whatever happens, it's going to be worth the price of admission. I'll tell you, if I every time I think, like, I'm going to retire, I don't want to do this anymore, then all of a sudden it's like something will happen that makes me understand that talk radio is so vital to this nation's future. So I ain't going anywhere. I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here, actually back in the studio tomorrow at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Um, Remember to just be yourself because everybody else is taken. And my prayer for the United States and my prayer for you and all of our families is that God protect us, protect us from ourselves. And... uh, You know, I'm sure you agree with that. I'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great evening. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.